now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Cofield and Company, college football spot. We do this every week. We love doing this spot. Michael Felder is with us. All right, you and I talked about Georgia and just how good Georgia was all season long while people were going gaga. You were a little bit hesitant. Did some of the stuff that you were worried about play out in that Alabama game? Yeah, the ability to challenge those corners and those safeties, right? Alabama challenged them, and guess what? They weren't up for the challenge. And Georgia's not a high-pressure team, and I think that's going to be the interesting part going forward, whether it's, you know, Alabama, Cincinnati. Oh, let me stop myself, Steve. I'm going to stop myself because I want to say I do want to give props to Utah, Utah State, UTSA, Cincy, Pitt, Bama, Michigan, Louisiana, Northern Illinois, and Baylor, all the teams that won conference championships. We keep skipping forward to the playoff and all this talk, but, like, it's hard to win a conference championship. It's really hard. And so I wanted to give those guys props. By by the way, we should throw in there that people who complain about the same thing happening every year in college football, that is nonsense. And this is exactly why you play games and why there should be more inclusion in a playoff system because you don't know what's going to happen. Many of the teams you just named were somewhere between 20 and 80 to 1 to win their conference. So every year – we have dopes out there who are like, oh, you know, th- what's the point? This team, mm-hmm. these teams have no chance at winning. No, lots of teams have a chance at winning. That's the whole point of playing. It's very inexact. Yeah, I, so I had to get that in there. Shout out to Baylor. Baylor with a big upset over Oklahoma State. That was huge for them. So to circle back to the question, Bama, another conference champion. Um, yeah, I think that challenging Georgia's secondary was important. I also want people to notice, and if you have the time, watch the second drive the second touchdown drive that Alabama had Nick Saban. I mean, goodness, you want to talk about a guy going from six to midnight when Jordan Davis gets in the game and he keeps him in the game for the entire drive. And on that touchdown pass, Jordan Davis is looking at the sideline. Like I'm not supposed to be in here right now. And it really speaks to sort of the mastery and the understanding of this game that Saban has. And I don't think enough people are giving him credit for that, but that was a beautiful game plan. Bill O'Brien helped with the play calling. He executed it really well. But you can't be big and slow. You can't. And that's what Georgia was against Alabama. And I don't know that Michigan's going to be able to exploit that because these are two similarly built teams when we talk about the playoff. But I do recognize that Alabama did something. And we talked about this. I said I'm not, I wasn't a Georgia believer. Their offense was pedestrian at best. And then we watched them play, and what, what did we see? We saw an offense that refused to take chances, an offense that was not aggressive, an offense that did not want to play a game that played into the 40s. And guess what? If you're playing Alabama now, if you're not going to score 40 points, you are going to lose every single time. That's the reality. Why is Stetson Bennett at quarterback? I think he's at quarterback because he understands the offense and he he figures out a way. He gets the ball to one of the best tight ends in the country in Brock, in Brock Bowers. He finds a way to get the ball to Lad McConkey. I still don't think he maximizes the big talent that they have on that team, whether it's pick-ins or obviously if we get to see Don Blaylock ever. Uh, he doesn't maximize the big talent they have down the field. Um, and Kyrus Jackson as well. So they don't, you know, he doesn't push it down the field, but he does provide some mobility and the ability to move. And I think that is something that's important. I do the problem. Honestly, the problem for me is not Stetson Bennett. I know everybody. I know everybody wants to talk about it as a Stetson Bennett issue, but the reality of it is, if he's your quarterback, play to what he does. Quick game. Him on him on the run. He can run a little bit. Kid's got a little bit of a little bit of shake. Run. Do all those things, but they don't do that either. 
they sit him back there like he is JT Daniels. And guess what? If you play it the way JT Daniels wants to play, you're going to get your brains beaten by Alabama again because Will Anderson's going to be hunting off the corner. It's a shame that that guy's not in New York City for the Heisman. All right, so what happens with Georgia? Do they make any changes, and are they going to beat Michigan? I don't know. That's that's, a, that's probably that's the, I mean that's the million dollar question, right? Like that's do they make changes? And against Michigan, I think we're going to see strength on strength. Two teams that are very good at run defense. Two teams that are very good at defense overall. Two teams that want to play a suffocating kind of boa constrictor style defense where they they, they close you down. Two teams that don't want to win a game. In the 40s, they like Michigan scored 42 points in the Big Ten championship game, but they, they that was on accident. They were very happy, you know, at 21, and they were even happier when they got to, to, to 28. They were like, yep, that's where we are, and we're good to go. Iowa just got so tired and defeated that they just kept that they could keep scoring. But against Georgia, I think this is going to be about energy conservation. And with respect to that I, what i mean by that uh, uh steve is I, I mean that i think that we're going to see two teams pick very limited spots where they take shots down the field very limited spots where they whether it's blitz or like bringing the pressure or gamble on a football that we're going to see very limited gambles in this georgia versus michigan football game would cincinnati be in this final four field if oklahoma state had been a little more aggressive smart and actually won that game if okie state is sitting there Without this last loss, is Oklahoma State in and Cincy out? Yeah, absolutely. Oklahoma State would be wow. in. Yeah, I absolutely fully believe that. Like this, the deal they signed was for the Power Five plus Notre Dame. They're going to get in every time that they have an opportunity to get in. They just lost that opportunity with the idea that um, that th- with them losing to Baylor, and it was rough. It's rough. It's rough on the kid Des Jackson, who if he just turns it up, he probably scores a touchdown instead of trying to dive for it. Uh, that's rough on him. I understand that it's it's it speaks to a greater issue in college football, not just him specific, but if you lift weights for a reason, if you can't, you you, you got to power through, and I think that's just something that between the hurdles and everything that we see every week to week, of course, yeah, it's on your direct TV ad. They show you a picture of Ezekiel Elliott hurling somebody, and it's like, man, it'll be really good. He kept his feet on the ground because he does power cleans, you know, five times a week, like. That's where your power comes from as a base. So, but yeah, but I think Oklahoma State would have been in. And, and, and honestly, you, you mentioned being a little more aggressive. I think, they should, I think they were too aggressive. I think Spencer Sanders got too aggressive. That's why he threw four interceptions, right? And three of those interceptions were his fault. And overthrows, and, and obviously you can talk about the mishold on one of the first interceptions. But they got overaggressive and, and, and a little greedy. And then their defense let, allowed them to stay in that football game. They clawed their way back. But... Yeah, I think they would have been in if they had won that football game. Can this Notre Dame team beat Alabama and Georgia? They won't have the shot, but I wonder. Um, oof. I actually have been thinking a lot about uh, Georgia-Michigan in the fra- framing it through the Notre Dame versus Georgia lens, which we saw a couple years ago. And I think I think they are good enough to hang around. I don't think they're good enough to, to, to beat Georgia, I think, because of the mentalities that they have. And we'll see what new mentality Marcus Freeman brings as their new head coach. But I think the the Brian Kelly iteration of Notre Dame, it, the game against Georgia looks the same as the games, the last couple games against Georgia, right? It's a one-score game. You're very close, but you just can't get over the hump. I think with Alabama, and again, a testament to Nick Saban, I think with respect to Notre Dame, they beat their brains in. They want to score and score and score some more. And that's one of the parts that 
Lane Kiffin probably helped Alabama with and helped Nick Saban with with this idea of your defense can be as good as you want it to be. It can be the best defense. Remember, people were talking about Georgia's having the best defense of all time. And then all of a sudden, you get guys running around and you start expanding those zones and creating wider margins for error. And all of a sudden, we got Jamison Williams dancing in the end zone. Now we got a run game that Alabama had. Alabama didn't have a run game against Auburn. Now they can run the ball a little bit against against Georgia. Why? Because you're so worried about something going over your head, you're, you're on your heels. So it's been very interesting to see this all play out and see people react to it when it's a thing that you and I have talked about, you know, every week over the course of the season. Uh, back to Notre Dame for a second. I hope with uh, Marcus Freeman, and this is no knock on Brian Kelly because he's a good offensive coach, uh, but I would hope Notre Dame could get to the next level. If they can't recruit quarterbacks, like a top 10 quarterback, a legit top 10 quarterback every year, then they've got to be in the transfer portal. Like they, To me, they have to be involved in this. This transfer portal quarterback market is incredible. I don't know how much they're allowed to do. And I, I'll say this. like I'm, I'm not fully ignorant. I understand that they don't really take transfers with the exception of like some grad transfers. Uh, and those guys have to come from pretty exclusive schools, right? Like Kyle Hamilton is a guy that transferred from what? The Naval Academy? Like you can't just like you. You got to come from what Stanford, the Naval Academy, Northwestern. Well, they, 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 Wisconsin is a good school. I wouldn't say it's Stanford. Wisconsin, yes. Yeah, Wisconsin so they got is. so they got Jack Cohen. But if so, if yeah. they're if they're dipping their toe in it, like let's actually make a run at one of the real guys, not a guy who lost his job. Yeah, and 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 Jack Cohen's an interesting because he's one of those grad transfers. So he's already graduated college. He's going into that that the, the whether it's an MBA program or whatever it is he's studying that post grad. I just don't I don't know how much how big a I don't think they're gonna be they can't be as they they can't be as big of players in that market as a lot of other schools, right? They can't take a guy who did a semester at Clemson and then wants to leave. I don't think they can take that type of player. So it's gonna be interesting to see how that shakes itself out. I think it's just gonna be interesting. I honestly I think the big key, the thing for me is that I think Freeman brings the ability to not have to worry so much about the transfer portal, if anything because he's a guy that the players like. So I think he's going to retain players at a high rate. I also think he's a guy that people want to play for. And, 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 and it's not just he's a player's coach. This guy does demand – he commands respect, demands discipline, expects you to be an upstanding member of society. But he also – I think he will be able to – entice isn't the right word. I think he'll be able to draw – a different caliber of athlete to Notre Dame than what we're used to seeing. And they've had really good players, especially at the tight end spot, obviously along the offensive line. I think he's going to work to maintain that. But I think whether it's California or it's Texas or it's Georgia or it's Florida, even if it's Pennsylvania, it doesn't matter. I think Marcus Freeman gets his foot in doors that Brian Kelly doesn't get his foot in. And I think that's going to be interesting to see how – uh, specifically how the black athlete responds to that program when you have, and this isn't Ty Willingham. Ty Willingham was a completely different, like super buttoned up. Like he's a completely different guy than this. Freeman fits into the world. He is cool. He is, he's got swag. And I think that this is what it brings. And so I think they're going to be opening their doors up to some athletes that can go to Notre Dame, both academically and athletically, and that might be the thing that pushes them over the hump. Michael Felder's up with Cofield and Company, our college football insider on Thursdays. He's at In the Bleachers on Twitter, works for Stadium, does podcast on Learfield. So you played, not to age you, but it was a little while ago, so I hope you have some perspective <laughs> on this. I wonder what 
as we look at the bowl board, so much of what we're doing now is about motivation, right? Yeah. What's well, maybe this is obvious. What's more damaging? Uh, you lose your head coach, or you lose four or five players to transfer portal slash going to the NFL. What's more debilitating for the rest of the team in terms of motivation? Honestly, I, I, here's the thing. I think if you lose your head coach, you're going to lose those players too, right? So I'm going to go head coach. I think guys opting out is, I'm not going to say a positive, but it does give other players opportunities to get a jump start on what they're going to do for the next year. And those guys are super eager. They're very excited. So I don't think a guy opting out, whether it was, you know, we've seen Christian McCaffrey do it. We saw LSU, saw it happen with LSU uh, a season ago. We've seen it happen. I think that guys opting out gives – you get a chance to churn, right? You churn up that new new blood. New blood gets in. New blood wants to impress. New blood wants to show you what they can do. New blood wants to, wants to play. They want to ball. They want to do their thing. And I think that's important. And then on the other side of that, with a new – with coach, when you change coaches – it's terrifying. I'll tell you this. Is I'll be really quick. I'll give you 30 seconds on this. We were under the impression that Steve Spurrier was going to come to UNC in 2005. He ultimately ended up taking the South Carolina job. We were terrified. And not just like scrubs like me. Like starters were like, oh, God. He's going to come here and he's going to get rid of us. And then I'll, I'll flip it forward to Lincoln Riley. And he said in his opening press conference, it's really easy to turn over a roster now. And I said, dang, man. You're letting these kids know you're about to get rid of them. Right. So yeah, new coach. That's a you feel you feel terrified with that. At least when some starters decide not to play because they're going to the league or they're going to transfer, you get guys in there that want to play because they've been they've been itching 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 to get a shot. What do you think about Venables going to Oklahoma? Is he a head coach? We'll find out because I don't have an answer. I think he's a brilliant defensive mind. I think he would have been suited quite right if he just coach defense for the rest of his life i don't know what's going to happen when he gets the reins to the program it could be amazing like bob stoops it could be great because bob stoops was a great defensive coordinator as well could be great or he might crash and burn under the the, the strength of running an entire program it's one thing to be in total control of your defense which is what he had at clemson which is what i assume he's going to maintain at oklahoma as well but it's another thing to to, to be in charge of an entire program and to have all the obligations that come with that. And I do think that he's been helped tremendously by working with Dabo Swinney. Dabo's a guy that's relinquished a lot of control to his coordinators and given them a voice and given them the opportunity to make plays. I, I think that's probably better than if he had worked for like Nick Saban, who's in total control of everything all the time. So I think he's got a head start on that uh, in terms of relinquishing control and trusting smart people to make smart decisions. But I have no idea. I'm rooting for him, but we'll see how it goes. Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Oregon. I'm sure their fans were shocked. In fact, I know Oregon fans were shocked because last Friday I was laughing there, sitting, watching them talk trash about Miami, and I'm like, he's probably going. So you can you know, denigrate the job in Miami all you want, but you may not have a coach soon. Could that be the case at Clemson? I don't know if you saw it, but Dabo Sweeney was in Vegas. He was on the sidelines of the Raiders game. He hung around for the college football uh, Hall of Fame ceremonies, a bunch of festivities out here for the next couple of days. Uh, casino people were hitting him up, you know, chatting with him. Mark Davis looked kind of cozy with him on the sideline. Is there a chance that guy bolts, you know, if Davis can come up with the money and, you know, 12 mil a year over Gruden's 10 mil a year? Dabo Sweeney in the NFL? That's a tough question. 
it is. Yeah. Because I think as much as Dabo's, and we've all seen it, he's complained so much about the changes in college football and both from a coach's salary standpoint, from NIL, which he supports NIL, but he doesn't. I don't think he likes the way that it's enacted. And obviously from players getting paid or people wanting players to get paid, and he's already made the statement that if players get paid, I'll, I'll leave and the whole deal. And so there's, there's that element. But there's also this control element. And it's easier to control in college than it is in the NFL. And we saw that with Nick Saban. And the biggest thing that I don't think enough folks realize or think about, but the biggest thing with, with college is coaches get to write the narrative. Coaches get to pick who talks to the media. They get to pick when they talk to the media. They get to pick if they even talk to the media. Coaches control that narrative. And in the NFL, players have their own – every single player in the NFL has their own advocate for them, and that's their agent. So their agent has connections in media. They have connections. They can change the story and they can change the narrative. The coach isn't in charge of it anymore. And guess what? A lot of the players make more than you. And that's the reality. And they would rather get rid of you than get rid of him because there's only one of him, but they can find another you when it comes to coaches. So I think Dabo is, he's going to have to weigh that option. And obviously I'm sure he's watching what's happening with Urban Meyer, who I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think is a far smarter football coach than Dabo Swinney. And he's flailing right now in the NFL. And then obviously Saban flailed as well. Failed, he, he failed and flailed as <coughs> excuse me, as well. So and Spurrier and all the guys that we've seen do that have been bad. Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll's an NFL coach and then went to college and he was just better than everyone because he'd already been an NFL coach. And then he went back to the NFL and was still good. But it's a hard job. It's a harder job to do than the college job. And it's not just – it's not – like recruiting is one – There's it's one thing to do recruiting in terms of convincing a guy to come play football for you. It's another thing to do free agency and convince a guy who's – he's going to make money no matter where he ends up. It's a, one, it's, a, it's a completely different thing to convince him to come play for you. Like, hey, why? Because you what? You got a smoothie machine? He doesn't care about it. He, got a, <laughs> he has his own smoothie machine. He doesn't care about this. I just think the dynamics also of Vegas and Dabo Sweeney are, would be fascinating. Oof. Oof. We're not as wild and crazy here as everyone thinks, but uh, that, that, mix, that mix would be real cool. He not getting 53 guys on a bus to go to church on Sunday morning. I can tell you that. <laughs> All right, we got to close on a couple of important debates. I think I'm on the wrong side on this one. Uh-oh. Plain Fritos or plain Lay's chips? I'm playing Lay's all day, man. That's just a cornerstone chip for me. Like, it's regular. It's just it's just a potato chip. And Fritos, I'll tell you, everyone that's voting for Fritos in this, <clears> y'all don't, y'all didn't make out with people in high school. I can tell you that. <laughs> they do smell. They do smell like feet. They smell like feet. Make, yeah, those are going to make your breast stink. Yep. I'm a Fritos person, so I won't be making out. I guess I haven't made out with a lot of people over the years, or they just dealt with it. I guess I'm, I'm just, just a hot item that they dealt with it. Um, the, the other thing I got to shout out here, uh, we got all these guys, um, all these chefs on Cofield and & Company, and, and, and Felder's right up there with them. The thing that blows me away is the baking, the bread. And I saw it again this week. Not only not only are you baking, but you have the, you have the friggin' special pans. Like, I actually yeah. I worked at a chain bakery. So it, the stuff was all pre-made, but that I don't even know what like the undulating pan, and I'm I'm looking. You're doing oh, yeah. like you're doing like long rolls or baguettes. I'm like this this is out of control. 
Yeah, that's my baguette pan. I use it to make baguettes. I use it to make Italian and French loaves. They're great. It's really good. If you're going to do a po' boy, you do like a, a French loaf on there, like a New Orleans style French loaf. It's great to make po' boys on. It's great to make Italian loaf. If you're going to do like an Italian sandwich, like a meatball sub, I use it for um, this week. I use it for uh, steak and cheese. Nice. I'm telling you, it's it's just got three little the three little divots. You lay your bread in there. You let it proof in there. Then you cook it in there. You bake it in there. It's perfect. It's so good. And a regular oven. Yeah, regular oven. I do use it. I do keep a baking still in my oven though to help temperature regulation. <laughs> I feel like you're gonna have like a pizza, like a hardcore pizza oven because you have the small pizza oven, right? No, no. Oh, I, you don't have I, a small I one. My, I do all my. I don't have the room on my deck to do a pizza oven, so I do all my pizzas in my oven with the pizza with the baking steel. Wow. And I heat it up for an hour. Shovel it off the paddle into the into the onto the steel. Give it two minutes on bake. Then I flip it to broil so we can get that top. The cheese a little crusty. We did a little pepperoni jalapeno with anchovies this week. It's so good. Yeah, I, you let the cheese bubble up on the top. Flip it back to bake, and then you pull it out. It takes seven- driving home, and they're like, "Wait, wait, what? The bread? I gotta stop and get some bread." <laughs> All right, Mike. I appreciate it. Very good spot. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. It's always fun, man. Thanks so much for having me. There he is, college football expert Michael Felder. You can find him on Twitter. Great follow, at In the Bleachers, and he works for Stadium, also does podcasts for Learfield. Time for another giveaway. It's time for our Press Box Holiday Hookup. The guys are giving out four tickets to Disney on Ice Dream Big. You can get your own tickets to that show. It's January 6th to the 9th at the Thomas & Mac. DisneyOnIce.com is where you can buy the tickets. It's caller 11 364 364 also get you in as a qualifier to win a brand new 55-inch 4K Smart TV winner given away on December 21st. Take advantage of it. The guys are giving away lots of goodies. The Press Box Holiday Hookup. Get involved right now. 364-1100. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Let's go! The Football Frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. 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 Interesting news in a couple of minutes ago about uh, Dallas, the Cowboys, with football team on the way. WFT was here and just took out the Raiders over the weekend. Uh, Ed Werder, NFL insider, reporting that uh, Tony Pollard, running back for the Cowboys, you know, Zeke is already beat up. Pollard on that 58-yard run actually tore uh, the plantar fascia on his left foot. Expects to be a game-time decision. So Cowboys all of a sudden looked uh, insurmountable in the NFC East and between COVID issues with guys like Amari Cooper and now running back issues – Defensive issues are down to like 27th in the league in defense. Not going to be easy down the stretch here. Not against a team that has improved dramatically defensively and comes in on a four-game win streak. And it's two games back of Dallas. And 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 to be honest with you, Pollard has may have been overall their 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 best athlete out of the backfield. Um, with with Zeke just seemingly having some struggles this season, so I, that's a that's a rough hit, and that is a painful injury 
if that's torn, I'm, I'm not sure how he deals with the pain and and sucks it up, per se, because you're, you're running on your feet. So that's a painful injury to overcome. That's going to be a tough chore um, against against a, a very tenacious defense. That, that, sorry. I was, was going to say, though, that it just dawned on me just that also stymied the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I always forget that when I'm talking about that Washington football team, and it's like when I'm done, then I go, dang. That's right. Yeah. And not many have stymied. Stymied. Uh, speaking of the Cowboys, Amari Cooper. Interesting, this one from Michael Gelkin, who used to work here in town covering the Raiders. About Cooper not really commenting much on those two games he missed and his unvaxxed status. You know, Jerry Jones kind of went out of his way to indirectly, directly take shots at Cooper as not being a, a team guy. Mm. I thought this was interesting from Amari Cooper, former Raider. He goes, uh, the thing is, it's just so difficult for me to answer these questions because it's just what I've noticed. People have a lot of pride. Everyone wants to be right. There's lots of people on both sides. There's people who are pro-vax, people who are against it. There are arguments to be made for both sides. But I learned a long time ago not to be part of a certain conversation because they'll only lead to arguments and quarrels. I agree. I mean... He made his choice, and that's the way it is. We, we've gone over this time and time again. Different sports, different players, different rules, different mandates. You do what you got to do. And if that's your belief, so on and so forth. But he is right because these days, even before the pandemic, social media has ripped apart, shredded friendships, families. I've seen it firsthand, and you can, especially on election years, you cannot bring up one thing in what you believe, what you don't believe. It doesn't matter. You automatically get lumped in with a genre, a population, uh, a group, whatever it may be. So, and now with the pandemic and the vax and the this, I mean, it doesn't matter. The color of your shirt makes you, turns you into a, a political gadfly of some kind. You're, you know, they lump you in no matter what it is. You wear a certain hat. You wear a certain hoodie. You wear a certain shirt. You wear a certain slang. You got this. You got that. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. So he's right. Were you annoyed at Jerry Jones for getting after the receivers, not Dak, for the offensive struggles of the Cowboys? I was just annoyed that Jerry Jones opened his mouth. He's meddling, and it's interference. You know, as frustrating, if there's one team, Steve, real quick, one word. Who's the most frustrated team in the league with what it's had to deal with all season long? Raiders? We heard from Mark Davis ridiculing anybody. He's maybe answered questions when people have asked him, right? Last week, coaching. Oh, I'm not concentrating on, if anything, he said, nope, I've got back my team. Waiting for the playoff push. Jerry, yeah. Jerry Jones answering a question real quick on uh, Prescott being healthy. Yeah. Said the thing that you're seeing sometimes when the pass looks errant, it's because the receiver ran the wrong route, cut it off two yards shorter. That's one of the answers. Better routes. And to your point, you don't – with all that's gone on, the, the Raiders don't need – I mean, if Mark Davis wanted to speak up responsibly on certain things, fine – but commenting on the performance of the team, and it's all, this has always been the problem with Jerry Jones. Right. He should not be involved in any sort of personnel decisions. And 
the fact that he loves doing his weekly radio show down there that he's now done for like 25 years, it's, it's oftentimes counterproductive. Comment as the owner of the team and as powerful a person he is in the league, right, probably one of the three most influential owners in the league um, as the boss of the commish, it's irresponsible for him to meddle during the season making comments does he have a right to sure you do but you're undermining your coaching staff by adding your opinion and influence because now it clouds the minds of these young kids that are trying to do their best you think um because now on top of your receiver room with the receivers coach on top of your weekly offensive meeting with your oc on top of the head coach now you got the owner chiming in so now you have to think outside. What if what if Jerry Jones is making a comment that is somewhat contradicts what took place in players' meetings? And now they got to worry about well, now they got to worry about their job. Now they got to worry about this. They got just shut up and sit in your suite and quit making comments on the players' performances. Wait till after the season, or do it behind closed doors. But to do it publicly, it's wrong. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. This is Cofield and Company. Over sevens on a Thursday, Thursday night football on the way in about 90 minutes. 77 cent beers at that point. Bud, Bud Light, Mick Ultra. Right now, the drinks are an outrageous 277. Yeah, they're all about the sevens here. That's not outrageous. Uh, it's a great special 277 on well drinks, beers. How about Ari coming strong with the Jackson? margaritas? Uh, Ari actually wouldn't even take credit for that, uh, saying something about it being an old rejoin and then giving credit to old producers. My guess is that. Uh, someone else may have done that one, because that oh, yeah. might be that might be one of my favorite Christmas songs. I just uh, needed to call an audible, so I you can my never you can never argue with the Jacksons and Christmas music. I'm well, never Christmas music. I actually I was getting on Ari the other day for not starting it early enough. He's got a library that uh, we I have well, put together over the years, and I'm glad to see that some of the stuff from 2016 is still in there, baby. Well, he had to get that week of Hanukkah music out of his system. I loved it. I so, thought his variety on that was was totally awesome. What 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 day are we on? Are you still lighting the candelabra or uh, whatever this it's would called? Be the candelabra? Wait, wait a second. Negative sixth day? Now the it's can- been over the, four? <laughs> it was like the earliest Hanukkah in recent memory, right, Ari? Yeah, it feels that way, yeah. Like, a lot of people didn't even realize it was going on because it was so freaking early. It's usually towards the end, like around Christmas, give or take. Okay. Candelabra is a little bit off. I think you meant menorah. Menorah. That's called it a candelabra. Wow, I missed that. Yes. You're, you're always a close listener. <laughs> Do you know the thing that spins by any chance? Do you know what that's called? The uh, dreidel? Act- yeah, yeah, the dreidel. I've, oh. actually, I've actually played uh, gambling games with the dreidel and had a... Had a hell of a time. Spin the dreidel? Got some shekels. It was, it was fun. I got some shekels. <laughs> yes. Uh, some breaking news in Reno might have a coach for football. Uh-oh. Ken Wilson, who was on the Oregon staff, the co-DC, uh, was also part of the Reno staff for 19 years, so he may be the guy. 
And if he is, then he's got some work to do because I just saw one of the receivers, Stovall, went into the transfer portal. Um, Reno right now, every one of their top receivers, including a lot of Cooks who was hurt, is either going pro or is in the portal. So that includes Lockhart, like I mentioned, Cooks, Dubs, Cole Turner's going to the NFL. He's a tight end. So it's getting a little thin. But as we saw in the Mountain West Conference, just because you go in the portal doesn't mean you're leaving. Jake Hayner actually reversed course, the Fresno quarterback, and he's coming back. Oh. Not going with Kalen DeBoer. He's going to stay with Fresno and play for Jeff Tedford. Well, offensive mind. He'd been there before. Maybe he likes the, maybe he likes the, the move, coaching move, right? Is the, let me ask you this. Yes. With the coach they're bringing in, reportedly, depending on what they retain, and what we saw down the stretch, will UNLV at Allegiant contend for the Cannon? Yeah, I think so. I do too. I mean, I still I don't know what UNLV is going to have, so we'll see. I will we'll see also any, we'll say see if either any of the quarterbacks enter the portal. If they get new quarterbacks, we'll see if if more talented guys like Jacoby Winman leave. I don't think that's going to be the case, but I don't know. Um, if that were the case, then you know UNLV is looking at something different. But based on the fact, Willie, that they played a lot of close games, one of them was not Reno. Yeah. But the fact that they played a bunch of close games inside eight points and they lost all six, I expect them to be in a lot of those games again and at least split them this coming year. So that should mean they'll be competitive with the Reno roster. But Reno was, I mean, their roster was very good. It's not, listen, Carson Strong going bye-bye is what, well, the speculation that Carson Strong won't play in the bowl game and Norvell going bye-bye is what has altered the line in their bowl game. I don't know if you've seen this. Reno was a six-and-a-half-point favorite on Sunday against Western Michigan in their bowl game. Mm -hmm. Western Michigan, you hear what I said? Six-and-a-half-point favorite, Reno. Yeah. Western Michigan at one book is now three-and-a-half. Have you made so We've had a ten-point shift. I made six. I made six over the weekend. I remember. That's right. You told yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but we'll, we'll break those down with Brad Powers. Okay. I just was asking In a just question. a little bit. I, I wasn't asking for No, no, no. Yeah. Well, that's one of them I made. I actually got Western Michigan plus six and a half. Um, I, I guess at this point. Are you going for the middle? I kind of have to, don't you? Well, I think what you need to do is you got Western Michigan plus six and a half. So now what you need to do is find a play to tease with Nevada I'm to go to, up to. Don't tell me you're not. To, what do I have to tease? You love teasers. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to do a teaser. Tease it up to nine and a half. You'll have a 15-point middle. Am I gonna tease it by itself? Well, you find something. There's, there's how oh, many bowl guys? Because the other, the other, the other leg is just so easy to nail. I mean, find a six-point spread. Tease it. Well, what if Western Michigan don't, beats them? You know, thirty-four to look two. Don't be difficult, Danny. I don't even know what that means. I don't know, silly Sally, difficult Danny. I, don't know. I was trying to be funny, but you tried. <laughs> you tried. Uh, Heisman coming up this weekend. Looks like Bryce Young is going to be the guy. I was about to come on the air and blurt out, don't ever bet the favorites mm. in the Heisman. Just follow the market throughout the year and find the best numbers for multiple candidates. But that didn't exactly work out. But did you see the numbers going into this weekend? Will you bet? Am I right on this number? 600 to win 10? Is that right? Yeah. It's minus 6,000. Yeah, minus 6,000. Well, the guy just won the AP Player of the Year, so... I mean, he did. He's, Bryce he's, Young. he's a shoe in. Yeah, I Bryce mean, Young's minus six thousand. Aiden Hutchinson is eighteen to one. Kenny Pickett's thirty to one. C.J. Stroud's forty to one. I mean, it's Alabama. You know that, and, and, and they're coming off the win, 
right? The, the SEC win, so that on top of it. It's going to be hard to overtake that. I mean, when was the last time a defensive guy won it? I mean, there's three quarterbacks in the running and one defensive guy, even though Michigan's defense is pretty dang good. But Charles Woodson? That far back. Ari? Ari, get on that. Commodore 64? Get that to us. If we don't explain what we're looking for, do you think he was listening at all? It's got to no, be Charles Woodson. Does he know what Commodore 64 is? I mean, I've mentioned it so many times, he better. Yes. I definitely had to go and look at, at uh, what it was. Steve, did you have Steve a Commodore 64? I did not. That was a rich person's computer. Did you? Did, I, I, don't think, I don't think I had a computer. That's, that was that pretty was, early on, man. That was back when if you were using the Commodore, like to, 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 to create things, you had to put like 10, you type 10, and then you typed your formula, and then a hard return, 20, and then and then whatever the command was, and then 30, and it was a whole process, and at the end, there was this, you have to put in the carrots, end, and then you'd hit run, and then whatever you wanted to do would run on your computer screen. It was a black screen with bright green, you know, and you had to have the screen protected, otherwise it blind dries. It was, it was very different times back then in the 80s, my friend. Want to have some fun with the uh, preseason Heisman list? Right before the season, you ready? Okay. So Bryce Young actually was the second choice, which was quite a roll of the dice considering we hadn't seen him play, and then he went out this year and was pretty freaking awesome. He was 9-1. to one. Spencer Rattler lost his job. He was the favorite. JT Daniels didn't finish up as a starter. He was the third choice. Stetson Bennett took over. DJ Uyunglele at Clemson was not good this year. He was the fourth choice. Matt Corral was pretty good. He was fifth choice. Sam Howell was very so-so the team was. Keaton Slovis injured, didn't finish out the year as a starter. Jackson Dart, I mean, you see a, a trend here? These were the favorites. They didn't, they didn't even retain their job who, in a lot of cases. Who do you think had got the most preseason wagers? Like, what, what do you think got the uh, best? Volume-wise? I would think Rattler, but That's I, what I, would yeah, think. I don't know. And then there were guys further down the list because they were looking for more quarterbacks. Cam Friel. Uh, your guy, well, no one knew Cam Friel was going to play, right? He wound up being the Brumfield. freshman of the year in the conference. I think Jay you're being Brito. a smart aleck. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson was 50-1. to one. Had a good year. He had a really good year. Jaden Daniels was on the list, Arizona State. He was okay. Desmond Ritter, numbers-wise, can't keep up with guys like Kenny Pickett, but he was 33-1 to one and led his guys to an undefeated season and the CFP. And then as you go further down the list, there's a bunch of guys like Michael Penix was 50-1. to one. He's in the transfer portal. Dylan Gabriel was 66-1. to one. He's in the transfer portal. So you see how it works out? Yeah. And I don't think there's much sense. Unless the only thing you should do is, is find a, um, a deep dog to ride. But I think you got to wait, and, and, and you, you need to play kind of the highs and lows of the first four weeks. Yeah, and the problem is is the, the guys that you do, you, when you do deep diving, I personally think that you have to find a power five. Then you have to find a, t- a player from a team that's going to likely get into the CFP, the Cofield Football Playoff. Otherwise, I personally think you kind of get screwed. Oh, if you want to play a group of five, just give me the money. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I'll burn it right in front of you. I mean, I'll take it, but yeah, no. and you know what? You bring it down to silver, uh, silver sevens because the seventy-seven ten deals, and we could. Yeah, hey, you're better off just getting a bunch of beers and hot dogs here. Absolutely. Then bet best know, deals in town on Thursdays. Then you know, bet the Central Florida quarterback. You got no freaking shot. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. 
Coleman brings it back out top. He's double teamed, steps through the double team, throws it in the corner to Nuga. Open for a three. Mike's three off the iron and in. It's the Nuga way tonight. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Running Rebels get back on track last night against Seattle. Winds up being a 20-point win. It was only six at the, at the half. See what happens and when you get angry? Good second-half defense by the Rebels. How many teams do you have that you, like, you really follow? Cowboys? I think they're passionate about. Fan-wise? Yeah. Cowboys? I used to follow the Lakers a lot. I've kind of... Ever since Kobe retired, RIP, I kind of I don't follow him as much. Do you often bet against the Cowboys? I won't bet a game involving the Cowboys. If I'm going to bet, if I would bet a game involving the Cowboys, I would more than likely bet against it. That way, I'm happy either way. All right, I'm considering a a bet against one of my teams tonight. So we'll what see. Would be one of your teams. Uh, I'm considering it. I don't know. Wait a minute. What about? What, what, it's not one of your team. You have a favorite team. You're an old school dude. I you know, have like I have like five. I have, like oh, five. Man. Saying I like five teams in different sports. That's what I meant. Oh, okay, okay. College so football, college basketball, I can, NFL, okay, okay. MLB. Settle down. Don't make for, you know. Settle down. Don't make me turbo. angry. <laughs> I'll drop twenty-one points and five three-pointers on you right now. <laughs> Let's do it. I was ready to talk some holiday cheer, and I'm all worked up. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's let's talk holiday cheer, even though we didn't get holiday. Right. Well, we got a little right. holiday. I'm gonna lay. I'll, I just thought about it while you you spoke. I'm gonna lay the thirteen and a half. I'm not happy about it, but I'll do it. Um, first of all. You sent something over earlier today because we do extensive show prep. You can tell. Um, it's a process. Weary Willy Day. Willy Weary Day. Willy Weary Willy Day. It is. I've never heard of this in my life. Did you make this up? And is it about you? It's not. Okay. It. It's Weary Willy Day, and right. it's so a sad hobo clown that was played by Emmett Kelly, who was born on this day in 1898. Originally a trapeze artist and cartoonist. Kelly performed as a white-faced clown in the 1920s before switching to Weary Willie in the 1930s. It's a very recognizable. I did not know that was Weary Willie. That is a very recognizable image. Yeah, he performed with the Ringling today. Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus from okay. 1942 to 1956. And in some film and Broadway roles, he was at the historic Hartford Circus fire of July 6, 1944, where 167 people died. It is said hmm. that this is the one time that he could be seen shedding real tears. But I'm weary, man. I mean, if there is a weary Willie out there, I am weary. I was weary today. I even had to text you. I was like, dude, I'm struggling. I saw that. I wanted to play on the clown angle because I know I'm pretty sure Ari's not a big listener to the show while he's here for the three hours. But Ari, can you confirm? Isn't I think Adam Hill is the anti-clown guy, right? Hmm. I mean, I should know. I've been doing you know shows around him for like. Yeah, I, I don't listen, so I can keep you on your years feet. So you, so I'm pretty. Yeah, yeah that's why. When things. you said you wanted to go on the clown angle, I thought you were going to call me a clown. You know what I was going to say to you? What am I, a clown? What am I here to amuse you? Oh. A little, actually, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yes. Can I just say? I, I, I know. I'm not, I know you're not going to beat me up. I, I make you as, laugh. as intimidating as you can be. I make you laugh. What am I? You're not really pesky. If it wasn't <laughs> no, spelled sure. the way Willie spells his name, I probably wouldn't even have wrote this down at all. But if your dad was a clown. Literally. Would, would you follow in his footsteps? My stepdad Not was a clown with the, shrine, the, the famous Zura Shrines in the Twin Cities. What? Yeah. You have a clown story? 
This is so random. I just brought it. First of all, I didn't even I didn't even take a second to look up Weary Willie because I figured you'd have all the information. I was, I was just intrigued by the fact that Emmett Kelly was followed by his son, Emmett Kelly Jr., who then played a clown up until his passing in 2006. That's a that's like a hundred years of clowning. Yeah. Wait, you have cl- you have clown ties oh. in your family? Well, my stepfather is a member of the shrine, okay. the Zelzer Shrine here. When we oh, wow. we moved around, we went to Minneapolis. So the Zura Shrine Circus, out of the shrine circuses that raises money for the burn care units, uh, in the Shriners Hospital up in uh, Northern California. Uh, the Zura Shrine Circus is act- their clown unit was actually very famous. They would wow, get they're like a hundred years old. Yeah, so he he was a part of that, and he had this big trunk that was about as big as uh, about half as tall as this step and repeat that we have right here in front of our set down here at Silver Seven Seventy Seven Cent Drafts, um, and it's full of <laughs> clown stuff. He had wigs, he had the shoes, he had really? the outfits, the whole bit. Oh yeah, no he and then he came out here to Zelza, and you know what? That's awesome. Because he learned from class. the Zura Circus uh, clowns up there, he did makeup clinics for and to help evolve the Zelza Shrine. And you know, so they had the different units. They got the horse units, got the guys in the little buggies with the red hats, right? And of course, we have the the Shriners. They the Shriners open the PGA stopping. So he goes out there and volunteers. But when the circus was a big deal, the the Shrine Circus, every town has them. It was very very. Um, the 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 clowns were very a big part of it, and my stepfather, here in town, helped sort of evolve the unit here in Las Vegas. So yeah, I think it's an underrated, disrespected line of work. I have respect for clowns. Seriously, like no, ro- I, rodeo clowns. I have to throw this out. there. What? I'm, I, I was really serious. It's like no, I'm going to throw this out there. I'm though. Sure, it's not an easy gig. Because the clowns in Cirque du Soleil are—they're very good, very funny. Because this is important. Because yes. a, a, per, a person that's very important to us, Mr. Mark Wallington. You know, his daughter is a big, big trapeze artist. I mean, she's—and when I say I'm not like clowning around. She has performed with the longest-running shrine circus, the Hattie Shrine in oh, wow. Indiana, and also the Akdar Shrine in Tulsa. Wendy and Mark Wallington's youngest daughter, Tal, she uh, now they were Tessa and Tal have both been in the, with the local trapeze groups and they performed at times, but Tal has continued to. I mean, they just she just posted this picture like this photographer that goes around and shoots. I'm going to show you during the during when we go off air. You'll mention it to Mark. It's she's really good. I got a text, so I had to. Put okay, that I, I had to give a shout out. Oh, you did? I had. Oh, to I, I swear to God, I was going to be like, this guy's depth of like random knowledge. I'm like, where do you have all this, <laughs> these clown stories from? Well, Wall- she's like, not this a whole clown. Wellington. Th- I, I understand, not, but it's yeah. circus. Oh, this yeah, whole yeah. the whole while I'm like, this is out of nowhere. Oh, you was someone listening and you got something on it. Wendy Wallington is one of your biggest fans. She listens to the show all the time. Do you oh, know how many no. times she texts me throughout the day and says, "Oh, I heard this." I heard, bu, 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 bu. Is that right? Absolutely. Oh boy, we got to be careful about what? I don't know. Some of the stuff we say. Some of the I, stuff you we should do. hear some of the stuff her and I say. Come on. Oh, okay, good. It's a receptive crowd. That's good to hear. Yeah. All right, there you go. I didn't expect to do five minutes on clowns. Uh, we'll get to Christmas cards later on. What do I we got to get to what's going on. We got to get to what's going on. The latest with uh, VGK. I got to tell you, folks. I don't know if I have like immense respect. Like you, you've now got your man and woman hockey card for what you did to Leonard last night, or if it's one of the meanest things I've ever heard. Daily happy hour starts at three with beers, well drinks, and margaritas. Just two seventy seven.